0: Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me to one of the most cherished passages in all of Holy Scripture, Isaiah chapter 40, starting at verse 27. I do want to say what a joy it is to see our founding pastor here, Pastor Mike Milton and his wife May, snuck in here without telling me beforehand. I'm so happy that you're here, Pastor Mike, and just let me know next time you come. We'd love to have you come and bring the word to this congregation. Pastor Mike and May came here in 93, 94. They're from the area, went to seminary, came back, and God used them uh, and the founding session, uh, those initial flock members, many are still here, uh, to start this church. And I've always viewed my role as, as one of steward, steward uh, to help guard and nurture the vision that was cast by Pastor Mike and by the initial session. So I hope by God's grace that I've been faithful in that But it is a joy to have you with us worshiping, and I just wanted to acknowledge your being with us. It's not often that we get to have our founding pastor here, so I praise God for that. And uh, one of those legacies that I hope that we always will see from this pulpit, no matter who's standing here, is our love and belief and confidence in the Word of God. So this is uh, a passage that strikes at all that we know to be true and all that comforts us, everything that we need to be reminded of the gospel and for our strengthening and our nourishment. This is a favorite passage for many of you. Verse 31, you probably have a picture, a plaque of it somewhere in your home. Uh, You've memorized it. It's a verse that's special to you. Uh, This is my wife's favorite verse, at least. That's what she told me when we were dating. And so here's my Bible from college. This was the Bible I carried around for my four years at Moody. Of course, it's a New American Standard, so all the Greek students had to have a New American Standard. If not the Greek version itself, of course they called us Greek geeks as we walked around with our brown New American standards. Well, I left it with her one time when we were out on a date or doing something, and she put it at the desk of the dorm. And it wasn't until a few weeks later uh, that I was looking through scriptures in, in Isaiah, and I found a post-it note that I've never taken out, which you can see—it's in the shape of a piano. Now, this was given to me in on two twenty-three of ninety-two. Now, this means uh, we started going out. I wouldn't say we called it dating right after Christmas, the Christmas break. And so this is a couple months later. And she says, Tony, who knows when you'll see this note, but I just wanted to thank you for your friendship, all right, and for encouraging me the way that you do. I see that you have your Bible marked on one of my favorite verses, Isaiah 40, 31. Now, never mind, she does it in the NIV. But nevertheless, she does say... But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up their wings as eagles. And she quotes the verse. And then it doesn't say love Sherry yet. Squiggly Sherry. So we're not quite there yet. We're getting there. But I've kept it here, and I remember it's here. Every year I've looked at it a couple times and just remember uh, her, of course. But this verse is her favorite verse. It's for good reason. It's a verse that has a particular initial context that you all know because we've been studying through Isaiah 40. We know the context. The first 11 verses, God reminds the people who he's forecasting in exile in Babylon to be down, to be despairing, to be doubting. He knows this will be their state of mind. So he gives these promises chiefly in the first 11 verses that he will provide pardon for their sins. We know to be fulfilled in the person of Christ. He will also be their shepherd and pick them up like sheep and nurture them and tend them and protect them. Those are the promises of God. But certainly the people know these promises. They're not new in Isaiah. They still were doubting. And so from verse 12 to verse 26, he reminds the people who are listening he is the great God, he is the sovereign God, he is the creator. He can do all that he wants to do. Now, lest we think that this God's so great that he would not concentrate on his promises to us, the chapter closes with verses 27 through 31 to a people who are like us. They're faint. They tend to be wearied. They're exhausted. They lack might. All of us relate with this. This passage has an initial context for sure, but it's timeless and its right to be applied to all of us today as we struggle with being weary in our walk with him. Here as I read God's holy, inspired, and infallible word, starting at verse 27 of chapter 40, the prophet Isaiah. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, you are indeed the everlasting God and the creator of the ends of the earth. I pray for those who are weary today. I pray for those who are faint. I pray for those who are exhausted. Show us your presence and your power. Invigorate our faith. I pray for you to renew these promises in our minds and in our hearts that we might love you and serve you all the days of our lives. Open our minds and our hearts to understand and receive your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We all experience a weariness that is more than just physical, although it can be physical too. We are created as a body and a soul by God, so the two relate to one another. When we're down physically, we can be worn out spiritually. When we're worn spiritually, it can impact us physically. So it's not to demean that, but it's not just physical. The weariness here has to do with our spirit, has to do with our, our inner man, our inner woman, if you will. It's that sense of our belonging to God, being shaken a bit because of some circumstance, something that wearies us or burdens us. And it says in the passage that nobody escapes this at some point. Even the young, if using only their natural resources, even the young will grow weary and exhausted. Nobody escapes this. The case for Israel. This is forecasting a time in the future from when Isaiah is writing that they will be in Babylon and they'll wonder if they really are the covenant people of God any longer. Uh, The northern kingdom was already taken and basically assimilated the lost tribes of Israel, never to be identified again. Would they be like this? God, have you forsaken us? Have you forgotten your covenant promises? Have you ceased to show us your favor? Are you real God? These are the questions they're asking. But certainly we we can relate with these kinds of feelings ourselves. In trials we endure, things that happen. Lord, are you really with us? You say that you are our shepherd and you carry us, but Lord, I don't feel like I'm being carried. Well, God gives answer to this common question that can be asked by believers, genuine believers who struggle. When you are faint and when you are weary spiritually, the way of renewal is laid out for us in front of us in this passage and it's based on who God is and what God does to empower us, what He allows us to do. First, if you look at verse 27 with me, you see this state of weariness that the people of God find themselves in. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? And the quote is to capture the sentiment of the people. Why do you say, O oh, Jacob? And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. The people were wondering why God doesn't regard them. Does he not see our situation? Is my situation hidden from the Lord, the people are saying. In my right, and here they could be referring to their status as the covenant people, the people of promise. And my right, why is it disregarded by God? It feels like it is. Now, already, as God speaks through his prophet, just in the way he addresses the nation, starts to address their problem, their plight. Notice what he says. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? He doesn't say Judah. That's what they've been known as for some time since the north and the south split. He says, O Jacob and O Israel. Why is this significant? Well, Jacob, that's the covenant name given to the son of Isaac who is carrying on the covenant promise that was made to Abraham. It's a very strong covenantal name named after Jacob, the one who wrestled with God over a blessing, over a promise, over favor. He says, Oh, Jacob. It's a reminder to them of how he has always had his faithful hand upon them. Even to a scoundrel like Jacob, by his grace, he chooses Jacob and he is Jacob's God. He says to them, Oh, Jacob. Then he says, Oh, Israel. The strongest identifier yet, the northern kingdom had taken the name Israel. They were Judah. But now he's saying Israel, which again is this strong name of promise to remind them. In Israel, knew of the grace of God, the deliverances, the supernatural interventions. Mercy upon mercy, God showed Israel. So he says, why do you say, O Jacob, people of covenant promise, O Israel who I've redeemed over and over and over again, why do you say, Why do you feel like this? Why do you think that I'm not watching what's happening in your life? Why I'm out of touch with this? So already he is addressing their problem. They're forgetting who God is and what he has done for them already. They thought God didn't care about their situation. Now, later in this text, there is the metaphor of running and walking. We can all relate with this. Even if we haven't all run lately. Probably everyone has run. And what are the things that stop us from running with vigor, with effectiveness? What stops us from running a good time? There's several features. These are the things that make us grow faint. First of all, you could put a huge backpack full of bricks on somebody's back when they're trying to run and they'll be weighed down by this burden and they'll get tired pretty quickly. They'll grow faint. So you could have a burden placed on you. You could have an injury. You could roll your ankle. You could have a cramp develop or some other injury that causes you to have difficulty and grow faint quicker. It could be you just don't have enough energy. You run out of energy. You don't have the fuel to keep you going. These are all possibilities when you're running the race. Maybe you are dealing with some of these. You have some burden in life. Maybe it's not one you brought upon yourself. Some situations occurred, but it's, it's wearing you out. It's, it has you faint. You feel exhausted. It could be a relational issue with someone who's estranged from you. It could be uh, a job struggle or strain, wondering about the future, wondering what it is that God's will is. And you're burdened by this, and you are faint because of it. It could be something health-related. As we get older, more and more things creep in, and more and more of these things have no real answers. They're just part of getting older, and they become more difficult. They burden us. They wear us out. They strain us. They drain us. These things are part of living in a fallen world and bodies that break down, that degrade. It could be we lack energy. It could be that we're okay physically. We don't have too many earthly burdens, but we're not availing ourselves of God's means of grace that reminds us and enforces what the gospel is over and over in our life. Maybe we're just skipping out on church, skipping out on fellowship, whatever it is, and we're feeling faint and we're feeling weary. Any of these things could cause this kind of burden. And all of them had truth in the life of Israel when they received this, and certainly we can relate today. Have you ever felt like God didn't care? Have you ever wondered about his promises? God says he'll never forsake us, but it doesn't feel like that right now, you might say. Maybe you believe, but the trial you're under, undergoing right now has worn you down. You feel downcast. Well, the terms in the passage before us are spot on. Weary, faint, exhausted, no might. Well, what's God's response to our feeling so faint and weary? Verse 28 and verse 29, it's like it reaches back into verses 12 through 26 where he lays out who he is and it reminds the people of God. It reminds us, he reminds us once again that yes, he is great, but he's not so great that he doesn't care but rather he's so great that he won't fail. And I'm borrowing this from Derek Kidner, who seems to have coined this phrase. God is not too great to care, but rather too great to fail. If he promises, because he is the great God, this is how we know that he will keep his promises. You know, promises are empty if I make them to you. I will help you from being weary, but you know I grow weary too. But if God says it, now it has... It has meaning, and it has substance, and you know it's true because God himself is the great one, and he cares about you. He promises he'll remove, our, he'll remove our sins, which is ultimately realized as Jesus comes and fulfills this. He says it in the first verses of chapter 40. He says he will pick us up and carry us like lambs. He'll be our shepherd as he does as Christ comes, is our good shepherd, lays his life down for us, the sheep, and he carries us. He intercedes for us. He does all these things. He promises them. How do we know it's true? Because the great God says it's true. Look at verse 28. As they doubt this, have you not known? Have you not heard? Well, we know just a few verses earlier he laid this out. But this is an ongoing message of the prophets and the Old Testament before Isaiah even writes The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. These are the, the reasons we can know what he says is true. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Calvin said Since God keeps every part of the world under his authority, it is impossible, therefore, that he shall forsake his church. Yes, our God is great, but he also cares about you, he cares about us, his church. So his greatness, and then apply it personally, we can be sure his promises are true. Don't you know that God is everlasting? Why is this significant? Don't you know that God is the creator? Why is this significant? Well, if your problem is weariness, your problem is a lack of understanding, your problem is you're tired or you're exhausted, well, the everlasting one never gets tired. And the creator knows everything there is to know. And if you don't know it, guess what? His ways are unsearchable, so Be humble. There are some things you won't be able to figure out. Some things you will not be able to interpret correctly. Trust that the everlasting one and the creator, he knows what's best and he cares for you. He's the everlasting God, the eternal one. He never tires. You know, think about how easily we tire. Even when you're in the best shape of your life, you tire. I remember playing in college soccer and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in so far as physical conditioning goes. And I play a 90-minute game which, by the way, is a lot longer than most games, right? I mean, how long is a basketball game? What, 40 minutes? 90 minutes. And then guess what? I spent two days recovering. I mean, literally, after the game's over, you're immediately getting ice down. You're going in into the whirlpool to get your muscles ready. Heat and cold, and you're getting a certain amount of rest. And then the next practice is actually a recovery practice from the six miles you ran before and got kicked the whole time. And so you have a day of rest there, then another day, and then we come to another game. You spend way more time recovering than you do playing. And for most of us, you spend a third of your life sleeping so you can recover to live. I mean, that's humanity. The everlasting God needs none of this recovery. He always was, he always will be, and he's never operated at less energy ever. So when this God tells you he can give you the strength you need, it's coming from an inexhaustible source of energy, God himself and his divine power, that he promises to give us when we need him. He is is the creator of the ends of the earth, the supreme authority. Power is His alone to give. Calvin says again very wisely, Whenever our strength shall fail and we shall be almost laid low, we may call to remembrance that the Lord stretches out His hand to the faint who are sinking through the want of all help. Verse 28, He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Key to this, brothers and sisters, is acknowledging our weakness. We have to acknowledge that in our resources, we cannot, we will grow faint. It is what, that's what will happen. It's inevitable. Our resources humanly are never enough. We must depend upon God's grace to give us what we need. And we might not be able to fully comprehend this. And this is where God humbles us so that we rest in him and rely upon him. It's what he says. His understanding is unsearchable. Why are you doing this, God? God knows why he's doing this. Trust that his power and his might and his wisdom suffice. One of my favorite uh, commentaries on the book of Isaiah that you've heard me quote from often uh, comes from a man named Alec Moitir. That's how you say his name, I found out. I've been reading him for quite a few years. He died at the age of 91 two days ago. I want to share what he says about this particular part of the text we're looking at, verse 28 and verse 29. He wrote The people of God already possess the truth. Their God is such eternal creator, untiring, that they need never doubt his capacity. He is also such possessing unfathomable wisdom that they must never expect to understand all his ways. As a God of eternity, he does not change. As creator, He has all the glories, attributes, and powers mentioned in the verses that precede. As not growing tired or weary, he never has to abandon his purposes as unrealizable or postpone them when he rests. Equally, however, because he works on an everlasting, worldwide, and ceaseless level, we cannot fathom his understanding. Because his ways belong to eternity, we to time. His vision is for the world, we are local. His ceaselessness keeps him always ahead of the point that we have reached. Paul captures this very thought when he says, Oh, the depth, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways So when you are faint and when you are weary spiritually, the way of renewal is based first on knowing who God is and then what he empowers us to do. Now, I hope this has already helped you, this little exercise of seeing what Scripture says about God. Think back to last week, the study of the greatness of God. Just studying the greatness of God, who he is, jars you out of that sense of faint-heartedness you may be struggling with. It, it, it perks you up. Your head comes up when it was tired when you start thinking of God. When you start focusing on who God really is, it, it takes our focus off of how we're feeling. It puts it onto who's sustaining us. And it already starts to have the therapeutic work of building back our strength. Do you see how it works? Studying God invigorates the people of God. It makes us realize that the promises of God are realized in this great God. We stop thinking humanly and we start thinking divinely. We stop thinking as orphans and start thinking as adopted children. We start realizing how faint we are is just used of God so that when he invigorates us and strengthens us, no one could say it was from us. It's just like what he says to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That I will perfect my strength in your weakness. When you are faint and weary spiritually, the way of renewal is based on who God is and what he empowers us to do. And what does he empower us to do? Look at verse 30 and verse 31. Trust God for the strength that you need. He will give us the strength. What he empowers us to do is to fly. He empowers us to run. He empowers us to walk. Even youths shall faint and be weary, verse 30. And young men shall fall exhausted. So the people that you look at and think to yourself, they're never going to wear out. I mean, they just keep going and they keep going and they keep going. Even they wear out. They all do. But they, they who wait for the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Man's strength easily fails, even those who are considered spry and healthy. They will see weariness set in. As a coach, I have tried to do the best to condition the athletes I have under my care to help them in games never get tired. So, before they come back, I tell them over the summer, here's what you should do. When you come back, you'll have to run two miles in 13 minutes. Now, that's not the end-all. The idea is they should be preparing for that so it's easier. Now, some of them are just athletic enough where they can pull this off, even not having run all summer, and I can always tell who they are. But we had one player in particular, it still makes me laugh thinking about it, because he pulled it off, but it was terrible to watch. He wouldn't run all summer, but had no body fat, was pretty quick, so he thought to himself, I'm going to beat this system. So we get out there, you have to run 10 laps around the field, and there's the players' benches on the other side. I mean, so what, right? You've got to run 10 laps. What, what does that matter? Well, this guy would run as fast as he could two laps. He would lap the team twice. Then he'd sit down on one of the benches and rest for a little while, waiting for the team to come. Then he'd get back in. He'd do this for the whole two miles. It just looked torturous for him to do. He was not in shape, but he figured out some way to do it. And he was even deader after it was done. It was harder on him. Even a young guy with no body fat and all the youth and vigor you can imagine gets tired, gets weary. That's true for the young how much more so is it for the rest of us? Because young only falls into a small category, right? Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. Now that we all understand the truth about our situation, there is only one difference between people. And the difference is everything you can imagine. But they, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. But they... You can't get through this life without God's renewal. You can't run, you can't walk, you certainly can't fly without God's renewal. The only ones who will gain true renewal are those who wait for the Lord. Those who believe in God's promises. That's what wait means. Wait for the Lord. Wait for His will. Trust in His plan. Trust in Him. It's the same things mentioned over and over again in Scripture. Faith. Believe. Trust. Now, ultimately, in this context, the first 11 verses, most important, foundationally, He will provide for the pardon of our sins. And we know this is realized in Messiah's coming. So the ultimate promise answered by God is sending Christ to pay for our sins. So by believing in Him, His works are imputed or credited to us, and we stand before God justified. No greater promise that God ever made than to promise Messiah. No greater promise He'd ever fulfilled than when Messiah came and did His work on our behalf. And then He gives us faith so we may lay hold of Jesus. That same faith is the faith that he works in us to keep believing in him, to keep trusting in him. And you will go through weariness. You'll go through times of being faint, exhausted. The answer is come back to believing in Christ. Not that you stopped, but you need renewal in the gospel. And in that renewal, you will find the strength you need to endure whatever it is you have. And not just to endure, God will help you run through it, walk through it, maybe even fly through it. That's what he'll do when he gives us renewal, a renewal that only he can grant, and it's by waiting for him. Now, there is a patience that's implied. You can imagine this original audience. They're in exile. He's forecasting this. And they're wondering, will God ever relieve us from this exile? So they had to wait in that sense. Trust also meant patience for them. And think of how this is in Scripture. It's common. Remember Noah? After the ark was erected and the waters came and it's floating? It's not like the waters just immediately came down and he got off and started over. They had to wait months. He had to wait for the will of God to be fully realized. Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. It went on for decades before they actually had the son. And there's an example where they didn't wait. They tried to run ahead of God and it caused all sorts of problems. But God still was faithful as they waited. Joseph had to wait in that prison until God brought him out of that prison. Years later, Simeon, that old man in the early part of the Gospels who had lived his whole life hoping he'd get to see Messiah, and when they bring the, the boy Jesus to him, he says, I have seen the salvation of Israel. He waited for the Lord. Our Savior himself, Many times in his ministry said it is not yet time for the Son of Man to be revealed or to be lifted up or to be glorified. There's a sense of waiting or resting in God, who is, by the way, the everlasting God and the creator of the ends of the earth, the disciples. They had to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. When Jesus ascended, there was an immediate joy in watching what they saw, but then afterwards they're freaked out. Okay, he's gone, but he promised to send a helper. When is he going to send a helper? And they had to wait. And we, we have to wait. You have to wait. It could be for something relatively small, something big, and we all wait for his return. And we believe it's coming. We know it's coming. Why do we know it's coming? Because he has never failed in any promise he has ever made. He will come again. And so that colors everything about our life between now as, and then as we wait. Oswald says in his commentary, to wait on God is not simply to mark off time. Rather, it is to live in confident expectation of his action on our behalf. It is to refuse to run ahead of him in trying to solve our problems for ourselves. That strikes. That I wouldn't run ahead, but rather wait. This involves faith and trust. This involves humility, to admit that we don't have the strength. Perseverance in believing... Even when things aren 't clear right away, J. C. Philpot says it this way, a fixed determination of the soul that to him only we will look. And this is how we renewed verse thirty one But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They have to wait for that renewal, like a person who 's in the hospital, completely helpless, laying in the bed. They have a procedure done, and they feel worse after the procedure, but the procedure was to help them, and then they've got to wait for the healing to happen. It says they shall mount up with wings like eagles. God uses a powerful and lofty image of the kind of renewal that we will experience when we wait on God and his will. The imagery of the eagle, what a, what a magnificent animal. And from their perspective and their observation, I don't know if it's true in the, in the books, but from their observation, and it was long believed this before Isaiah's time even, that the eagle was the most majestic and greatest of the birds, flying at the highest heights, living the longest life, and having command over its, its its habitat like no other animal even. It could fly at the highest level, and think of how much GPS and aerial shots have changed things across the world, that you can send a drone up high and see the property that you have, or Google Earth can look down at your house right now and I can almost make out your license plate on your car if it's the angle is right. And that's true. Because when you have that perspective on things, you, there's a sense of control you have over it. Or there's a sense of, of constant uh, security because you can see all comers. And so you'll fly like the eagle, you'll have wings like the eagle, you'll be able to see above all this that you can't see now that you're all bogged down by because you're so sucked into it, but now you're up above it and you can see it. That's the imagery that's meant to be implied. I love how Scripture describes the eagle. I mean, there are lots of great animals. You know, most Christian schools, it's either the lions or the eagles, right? Pretty much. Uh, I like hawk, but the hawk only shows up a couple times in the Bible. But the eagle in Job, probably the oldest person recorded in Scripture besides Adam and Eve, probably older than Abraham, Job is recorded to say, is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? So there's already a, a reverence for uh, the eagle two or three thousand years before the time of Christ. On the rock he dwells and makes his home. On the rocky crag and stronghold, from there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there he is. I'm the eagle. That's an awesome animal. And you can't say awesome about many things, but the eagle, the eagle's awesome. And God says, Will we wait on him? Will we trust in him? We will mount up with wings like eagles. What a contrast from the way we are in our natural state. But the imagery continues. They shall run and not be weary. Now we can really relate. Flying high, that's lofty. But we know what it feels like to run. We know what it feels like to walk. We know what it's like to have burdens, to have injuries, to not have energy. But when we wait on God, when we are renewed by his promises that are ultimately realized in the gospel itself. Then we can run and not grow weary. Because the gospel is the good news that comes from the everlasting God who never tires. And he refreshes us with the gospel, and it never wears out. You should never get tired of being refreshed in the gospel. You won't be tired of it. You'll want it because you'll realize it's the only energy that God grants that's everlasting, that continually works. And we need renewal in it regularly. It shall run and not be weary. you shall walk and not be faint. I think this is the same idea in the mind of the writer of Hebrews when in that famous chapter 12 describes the Christian life by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. Now, Renewal comes from believing or trusting in the promises of God, right? And now the author of Hebrews is saying we should run the race with endurance. But he doesn't stop there. He says, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Do you see how that's waiting for the Lord? It's looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter, the finisher, the completer of our faith. When we look to him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. They shall run and not be weary. Why? Because they're waiting for the Lord. They're looking to the author and the finisher of their faith. They shall walk and not faint. Finally, look again at the proposition that I put before you. When you are faint and weary spiritually, the way of renewal is based on who God is and what he empowers us to do. First, when you are faint and weary spiritually, we will all have periods of spiritual faintness and weariness where we will feel exhausted the way of of renewal. God provides refreshment for your soul. God provides new energy and spiritual vitality. And ultimately, the source is always the same. It's our Savior and our Lord, Jesus. Who is God and what he empowers us to do? Who is God? He's the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. And he never gets tired. And his understanding is sometimes just beyond us, unless he reveals What does he empower us to do? He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not be faint. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise your holy name. There is no one like you. You are the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, while we, on the other hand, are but frail creatures who are weak and need constant rest and renewal. O Lord, give us your grace so that we might wait for you and for your will. Lord, refresh our trust in Jesus. Increase our faith. We so often feel faint and weary. Please renew us by your gospel. Fix our gaze upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Give us strength. Give us flight like that of the eagle so that we might glorify your name in all that we do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us together turn to 336 as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. 336 will stand and sing verses one through four of Spirit, strength of all the weak. Um.